0: Hi, I'm Eileen Mogus. I'm a coach, facilitator, and public speaker. And I'm Daphne tsanko Sambala, former banker, entrepreneur, and mentor.
1: We're longtime friends and African women in the diaspora, talking
0: to women like us about the things that matter to us. And this is Sofully Podcast.
1: Well, amazingly, Daphne, this is the final episode of our first season as Soulfully Podcast. I know it's been so encouraging to talk to so many phenomenal um, women and to... And to hear from people who've listened to us, we really appreciate everybody who's listened. We just want to remind you to subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to pass it on to your friends. We will be back for season two. But we thought it would be really good to end this season um, celebrating an African woman on the continent of Africa, working in Africa, whose experience has been on in and through and whose passion and love is for the continent um and bigging up the continent and looking yeah. at music on the continent yeah. now Daphne you are the music connoisseur amongst the sure. two of us how yes. was how was this episode for you
0: Eileen I've been listening to African music uh, before it got cool you know that phrase um <laughs> I I for long periods of time as an entrepreneur, the only company I had was the African music that I was listening to. So I've got a huge um, list of artists that I listen to on the streaming channels. And I just appreciate music from across the entire continent. So to meet somebody who lives and breathes within the space, within the cultural and creative space of music in Africa was so fascinating to me. And she's so inspiring because not only is she somebody who promotes music, she's doing, the job that she does is to create capacities, to build capacity amongst African musicians so that they can enjoy a decent and sustainable living out of their craft and not just end up singing because they love it and then just living in, you know, not being able to actually monetize their their gift. So the conversation we had on on this episode is one I'll be continuing to the side with her because I want to compare notes with uh, her in terms of what she's listening to and also what she's doing within you know w- developing artists within the space so it's yeah. a very it's great and another thing that I, I, I want to say about our next guest is how much she just loves culture you know this is a woman who truly appreciates her background her upbringing and African culture so guys please listen to the end because this is a, one, of, one of our good ones All right, today we're delighted to welcome the beautiful Violet Maila to our podcast. Violet is a music industry professional and art activist from South Africa. She is currently the project manager for the Music in Africa Foundation in Johannesburg. Violet's previous work experience includes a number of roles in music productions in Malawi and Angola, as well as a really popular East African music, music festival called Sauti Zabusara, which is based in Zanzibar, where Violet lived for some time. For more than 10 years, she's been actively involved in the arts and culture sector, contributing immensely to various projects across the African continent, both in designing cultural projects and contributing to numerous cultural and creative research projects. So, Violet, welcome to the podcast thank you thank you thank you so excited to be here today (laughs) it's nice to have some somebody from south africa on our podcast we've got guests who come from all across the continent west east and now we've got a south african i'm really happy to about that because obviously you're just down the road from from where i am um in lovely south africa so so violet let's kick off by hearing a little bit about you and where you come from, tell us about how you actually got to be in working in the music industry um, and what your experiences were coming up.
2: So, where do I start? So, I grew up in a little village in the north, in Limpopo, which is really just probably one of the most beautiful um, places across the the country, Um, very much... um, raised by a matriarch my mom had me when she was i would imagine sort of relatively young she was 20 years old you know still in varsity and in typical african matriarch style my gran was like nope you go back to school i'll deal with these kids you know so yeah i was raised really um sort of formatively by my grandmother until i was about 13 years old really kind of enjoying the joys of um I guess it's sort of a peri-urban, peri-rural space now that I, you know, as an adult, when I go back to where I grew up, it's such a, for me, it was like village, village, but I look at it now and I was like, it's got kind of township tendencies about it. And I guess the space has evolved as well, but it's not as, you know, it's not as villagey as I imagine it to be. Um, and I think from, yeah, from then, I think when I was, you know, my mom was an educator, my mom was a teacher, um, And my grandmother sort of lost her partner and husband at a very young age. So it was quite interesting to see how she raised seven kids as a single mom Mm -hmm. and bless her, uh, was able to, you know, insisted and promised her now late husband and both of them are late now actually that she would ensure that all seven of her children get a a, a university degree and she did it, you know? So to Mm -hmm. come from someone with such assertiveness and such like focus, I think was a, is a big part of what I am and who I am. And my mom as well, just like phenomenally at 20 years old, you have a kid. Your mother says, mm-hmm. that, let's go. You need to move on and get your education. And she does it and follows what her mother tells her to do. And mm-hmm. to see what she's able to do and achieve for herself is also just really, it's phenomenal. Like a single mom again, I'm um, raising two amazing yeah. children <laughs> but you know just like, really having had that experience is amazing and my sort of official encounter with living in Big Bad Joburg was I guess when I was about 13 14, year old, 14 years old moved to the city to live with my mom's brother which is another typically sort of African way of being and where mm. you are very much raised by the village and I think it was kind of like a process that my grandmother fostered that right you you know you go get yourself sorted and then you pick up the next one and it was that Mm. kind of thing so you know when my mom's older brother was kind of ready and settled in his own way and had had his his wife and had his kids then i kind of joined their family and was raised in that environment which was really quite special so as much as i was an only kid for about 13 14 years of my life i had you know two sisters um that were my cousins so to speak um violet
1: can i just ask you i'm sorry i'm just cutting Mm -hmm. jumping right in there but i think this is really beautiful because i know we've spoken before about attachment theory and you know the bond between a mother and her daughter and and at the same time and, and and while i am a big advocate of the attachment theory and and those bonds um there's healthy bonds with the primary caregiver. I mm. love how you have spoken of, you know, it takes the village. And I'm really curious with that. How much do you think you have been informed um well, you know, like, in in the in the great diversity of your family in the largeness of your family in those those many layered relationships are yeah. are is that as valuable to you as some of the things we talk about about that that singular those singular attachments with the primary caregiver or maybe you know be it mother or father be it grandmother mm-hmm. or grandfather, you know that kind of thing. Well, do you have any amazing. thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's For me, my mom, you know, talks about it a lot. Um, and she refers to it a lot, which I just find really interesting because it's also something that I never thought that she saw as a perspective of me. My mom will always in, like, her most sort of emotional state, bless her. She'll kind of go violet always says that she was not raised by one person that she was raised by so many moms because i call everybody Mm. mom i literally call everybody mama my mother's best friend um all my uncle's wives they are all my mother um Mm. and it and it's it's it sounds so strange but it is so deeply that they are my mothers that they have raised me in the many many formats in many many different ways And it's the same as how I raise my daughter. I have one daughter who's 10 years old, the most precious human. Um, But there is no way I would be able to do anything I do if it was not for the village around me that I've had to build for myself. Um, And I've seen the value that that brings to her life. And her outlets and all her outputs and all the very different things she needs to be. Uh, because what I've learned, mothering her, is that I can never be everything to her. Yeah, um, yeah wow. She, you know, I, I, it's impossible. Mm. I can't yeah. be all those things to her. And so, what I need is my village to be able to be the various things that she needs, whether it's other women men uncles like my Mm. you know my my uncles who are sort of what i guess what you call her great uncles that she calls grandpa and it's the same Mm -hmm. thing for me my closest friends to me she calls mama for the very same reason that i've seen the value of what that's done for me and to see that she has a friend you know i have one of my dearest friends who's able to pick her up from school for me on my behalf if i'm working late or whatever Mm. And it's always funny because there's things. So she demands that time. She goes, "Mama, can Mama only pick me up today?" And I'm like no, no, no. <laughs> you know, you to yeah. and she'll ask because oh, she's got something pressing that she needs to share with her, not mm. with me. Um, and then, of course, Mama Wongi will be like, "Yo, I had this conversation. You need to be aware of this going on." You know, and that gives me perspective. So yeah. I have to appreciate and and completely, completely value. Um, that's a, the, the that's various a, kind of like space, you know, the, and, and what the outlets that she has.
1: I absolutely love that. I feel so, I agree with you, Violet, a hundred percent. And I've actually had um, people ask me, do, do you feel a bit jealous? No, no, I need my daughter to have those, okay. the, her own relationship with these precious people that relationship needs to be developed needs to be nurtured where she can see and also women she trusts that who are who i trust who she trusts it's wonderful it's wonderful i mean what a what a beautiful tapestry of life and experience I mean, and learning
2: yeah you know my i recently lost my grandmother like just under 2 years ago and for me a fundamental thing and i know it is such a like it's such a gift also. You know, we live in Joburg, uh, but we have a lot of we have some family that still lives in the village. Um, and really village, especially from my from my husband's side of the family, you know. So my my daughter still enjoys having a great grandfather. Um and for me it's 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 yes, there's some of my own selfish reasons around it. So come holiday time, my child gets literally shipped off either to mm-hmm. my mother or to grandparents because i value i know what the that 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 having that experience of growing up in the village and that what that's done for me mm. um in just rooting certain things and especially being rooted in a really specific culture where there's serious pride around that culture language is a big deal for me especially like living in south africa and living in the city and that being a thing about how our children are not able to communicate in their mother tongue, it's like a big thing. And for us to have the privilege to remove her from the city and say bye for four weeks, Mm. and then she's she's the only one that speaks English and needs to figure it out, Mm. and has figured it out. So, like, for her to have that moment, and, you know, I always joke, like, I have to think in, like, two languages before I get to English to, like, clear my thoughts, you know, like, (laughs) like, (laughs) one language, one language, what does this mean? And... For her to be able to do that, I think it just helps understand things differently and better. So for I know it's such a privilege to really like also to and to be able to trust that I'm going to hand my child over for three and a half, yeah. four weeks. I remember growing up as well. Um
0: there was a point when we weren't in, in Malawi. I didn't grow up in Malawi, but I I do remember each and every time we'd come from you know, during the summer holidays, spending one week or so at my father's um, village, and then another week at my grandmother's, at my at my mother's village on the other side as well. And those times, it was hard because it was like a hard landing, and there's just no padding for you, um, if, yeah. especially if you've been, if you've been raised, you know, <laughs> in the soft, in sort of in the soft yeah. life, in the global north, and then you're landing and you have to put water on your head. And I and I would imagine that some some of the experiences of rural allow might be a little bit more. Difficult than, let's say, Limpopo. I'm not sure. But um, I, I, I still uh, value know, those. Four decades I, ago. Yeah, I, I do still value those, um, those experiences. I do want to say, though, there's something that I've picked up because I've, I've recently moved to South Africa and I feel that this is even more common in South Africa than it is anywhere else I know of, which is the experience of being raised by a grandmother. There's so many people that I know I've spoken to in South Africa who will say, my grandmother raised me. My grandmother raised me because my mother was working, and it's I think more so than than other parts of Africa, but you don't get a sense of loss, you don't get a sense of oh i my mother my mother didn't raise me my grandmother did as an alternative it's always with such pride and there's nothing missing from the picture and to hear you describe it, that adds color that helps me to understand more why it isn't a loss at all it's actually a benefit and what Mm -hmm. maybe kids growing up in small nuclear families out in the diaspora might be missing as well i feel a bit sad about that
2: yeah Yeah. i totally feel sad and for me part of that experience was you know as in the same way that so at any given time in my grandmother's house and home there was at least five of us, five little ones, you know? So I'm very close with my so-called cousins who, again, like I've said, are my brothers and sisters and my grand. And, and, and so knowing, and we'd all kind of watch the next one leave. So as your parents sorted their things out, then, you know, kind of go join them. And so there was always like, this, in my family, there's kind of the, there's a particular four of us that are like, we're the last man standing kind of scenario. And, <laughs> And it's quite, you know, it's quite a special thing. But I think also just to maybe bring it back a little bit to that language thing. So my gran was like a phenomenal linguist mm. because with all these kids in the house, right? And most of them were her grandkids by virtue of them being her son's kids because she only had two daughters out of seven kids. She had two daughters. And so what she'd do is she'd speak to everyone in their mother tongue. So my Zulu speak, you know, my cousins whose moms were Zulu, they would be like Zulu floating in the house. They would be floating in the house because we were living in Limpopo. She spoke Ndebele and goodness knows how many. So like that also was just like amazing to just be like, where and how did you figure this out? And how are you able to like, you know, the consciousness of like passing that on, and yeah, you know, and course. I think I, I, I swear by it that my ability to pick up on languages has got a lot to do with that having that primary kind of space and being brought up of in course. a space where at yeah. any given time, those three languages would be spoken of at the course. same time, you know, and it's little things like that that I think, like, you know, I have friends who I admire in sort of my work and previous work, who have done phenomenally for themselves, other women, who were born and raised, say, in Soweto, in the township, Mm -hmm. in the so-called township. And I never understood it when I was younger because they'd always say to me, we can see that you've been raised in two spaces. Like, you're not just the city girl. Like, there's something about the fact that you have a big like village background about you that makes your way the way you navigate this life and this thing that we're all fighting like really different and it was always from a perspective of it being admired and I never got it Mm. um and now I kind of do because I now see it in my daughter who has that option um amongst his and I'm like ah Okay, these are other things. I love that.
1: I love that because it is, it's when we're talking about raising kids third culturally, you know, because of living outside of Africa or, you know, with intercultural marriage, but to actually think that doesn't have to be out even of your own country. It can be within Mm -hmm. your country and that diversity that your own country, and South Africa, of course, is the land of exceptional diversity. What that, how empowering that is if
2: harnessed. Mm. It's just making space for it and and really being willing to do it. Like I actually just a few, two days ago, I had a friend of mine wrote, was a was um, ghost wrote a book on someone else's behalf. And it was, so I went to the book launch and it was sort of an ode to my mother-in-law is really what it was. And um, it was very much the sort of, the, there was a question from another sort of youngish 30 something year old mom. Um, asking the question to the author of the book to say like you know fr- from a young mom's perspective how do you think you can foster and make better your relationship with your mother-in-law etc and I am like that weird anomaly where I have been blessed with the most phenomenal Mom me too she is yo, if I could like share bits of her for other people yes. Um, and there was a little conversation where she responded by kind of saying you know we all know that our mothers are different with our children than they are with us so hand those kids over like share them give them away mm-hmm. let them take those kids and let them have that moment and time to 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 teach them what they teach them, you know. And these, again, are those things where you cannot be everything to your kid. You just Mm -hmm. can't be. So offer that space. Hand them over. I'm all for handing over to other people.
0: I feel like that pride in your culture, which is coming through so strongly, must have informed or must still inform your, your involvement in the African music scene which leads me to then ask you how from that 13-year-old girl who has arrived in the big, in the big smoke, Igoli, South Africa, mm-hmm. how she, um, you know, she lands her first job, I think with Sachi and Saatchi of all places, which is phenomenal yeah. as a first job anyway. So t- talk about how,
2: how that happened. So it's, a, it's, yeah, that is a strange thing. Um, because for me music lives in me in very different ways it's not something I can't hold a note to save my life I can't <laughs> play an instrument I can do nothing all I do mm-hmm. is love it mm-hmm. um, and so and, and my memory my very clear and vivid memories about music is from um, my mom's brother um, Hala Herbert Lhabangani, who oh look at me here I go Who has probably had the most profound um, impact on on how I view the world and and and, yeah. and subsequent to all the things I've gone to look? That was so quick. You got me to the tears so quickly. Oh. <laughs> and sending so, sending
0: so, you virtual hugs, virtual hugs, virtual hugs.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so much love.
2: Mm. And he. My fundamental memories of me loving and feeling and living music was with, was through him. Mm-hmm. Like he had this massive love for music. So that's my mum's brother that I went to live with when I was 13 and he subsequently passed in 1999. So it's a long time and it was, it, and it'll, it'll all make sense eventually where I'm going about this very long roundabout way. But that is, that's my source of music and the things that made me happy. And it was all very much like South African so-called struggle music. So it was listening to Sankomoda, listening to Stimela, and we'd go on these crazy road trips to the Kruger National Park every year, and that's all we'd listen to. And my cousins and I would just roll our eyes like, "Here we go again." But <laughs> <laughs> now, I kind of go okay. That made a lot. Look- so I grew up in his home, and and a maverick of note, a maverick of note. I remember in. 1995, this man took his wife and three kids, myself included, to the U.S., to Disney World in, like, black South Africa. Wow. And
1: and, But let's put this in context for those people who are listening who might not understand. I mean, South Africa only got independence in 94. Exactly. And so until then, it's living, you're living under apartheid. So when you're talking about struggle music, this isn't from, you know, the 60s. This is current in your lifetime and then to be able to do that in 95 as a black south african to take your family that says a lot about who he was and his own sense of pride and self-identity
0: and freedom freedom and And freedom
2: yes and and he was raising three girls three girl children Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. And what that meant, and that has the, the kind of influence that that's had on the decisions I've made about who I've landed up with and right. that kind of massive, but to just kind of bring it back a little bit and how that led to where, you know, the kind of work and I went into, so that had a big deal. And he was a big, um, he was, a he was a marketer, so worked in advertising. Um, and at the time was sort of, um, you know, marketing magic, which was really like not common for, you know, he'd just gotten a job actually um, working for Prime Media, which is one of the bigger bigger mm-hmm. media houses in South Africa, in 99. And I was in my final year of high school. And um, I will never forget, obviously, on the 22nd of October, he died in a car accident. Mm-hmm. I was a month away. No, I was two weeks away from writing my first of my matric final exams, which is the way you get out of high school. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had his funeral on the Saturday and the Sunday I left my, you know, left his home um, and went and stayed with family friends who I had their daughter was um, a good friend of mine and stayed and they offered that I come and stay with them so that we can go through this together and Mm. I can have that
1: separation.
2: I will never, uh, Uncle Bonang Mohali, who's an amazing human being and you might know who he is, Daphne. And um, so I remember when that all happened and that was all done, came the end of the year and the next year and the year 2000, I had to decide what I was going to do, where I was going to study, what's the plan. And I remember again, another, you know, um, another parent who was a friend of my late uncle, um, she came to pick me up and was kind of going, right, we're in the car, I need to go register for school. So it was, in my head, there was two things I was going to do. I was going to study interior design Mm. or I was going to go into advertising. Um, and we literally drove down the highway and we got to a point and she said, you need to tell me which way I need to go. Am I going left to design school or am I going right to design wow. school? <laughs> little crossroads. Little crossroads. <laughs> little crossroads. <laughs> crossroads. And I said, let's go right. Let's go oh, to advertising school. my uncle and, um, and, and, and how he had such passion for marketing and, and, and brands and that kind of thing. And even though I kind of went more into the creative elements of it and trained eventually as an art director and practiced mm. an art director for a couple of years, that lived. But once you get into the belly of advertising. <laughs> tell us. Tell us. Oh, it's insane. It's insane. It's exciting. As like I was, what, 20 years old, 1920 mm-hmm. years old? And I was like, right, here we go. Had yeah. done an internship at Saatchi in Sa- in Sa- and then – Got a job at um, what was then called Herd Boys McCann Erickson, which was the first black-owned advertising agency in the country, oh, which really? is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Amazing. phenomenal. Because, can oh I,
1: can I stop you there? Sorry, because mm. this is too precious. Because, you know, putting it in context, you know, where you are, mid-90s, well, now you're hitting late-90s, you know, but you're in South Africa's a whole new nation, right? It's a whole new nation. Everything's happening and you're do, do you look back at that time and, and feel it do you can you still feel that
2: and as especially like outside as you know when you're in like this sort of creative industries right and i think that generally is the soul and this and the like the stuff of, of of an expression of any country or reflections yes. yeah yeah so i was in like a black owned advertising yes. agency in south yeah America. like with like masterminds and people that I know my uncle had worked with mm-hmm. and meeting other like black girls with dreadlocks. And I'm going, Oh, like mm-hmm. this, there's, there's a lot of us And it's a real thing because in the madness, I still lived a very sort of sheltered and comfortable life. I think a very privileged life. Mm-hmm. Um And to get into that space and also just reflect and be like, Oh, there are people like me. This is nice. <laughs> so I'm not an accountant. I'm not, I'm not book smart in that mm-hmm. way, but hang on this. Me and to find that home and for it to be with other black people. Yes. That was yeah. like a big thing, that comfort of like being around other black people. And Sorry, Violet,
1: like, mm-hmm. I'm cutting across yeah. you again because here's another thing. Now, because I, obviously I, was, I lived in South Africa for four and a half years. And one of the things that really struck me is, you know, when, you, when you've come from the global north and you have a, pro, uh, a minority black culture, mm-hmm. you can get your head around oppression. You don't accept it, but you can kind of see why the minority is being oppressed or minority is being frowned or minority is being belittled and the minority look for each other. You come to South Africa and I think it was one of the, because of me as well, having lived in numerous countries in Africa, coming to South Africa it was one of the, the biggest, um, I'd say, things that made me angry. Mm. It made me deeply angry is that you actually have a black majority right a black majority that has been oppressed by a minority mm. and the idea then of finding because here we, you know when you're in when you're in the UK you you hear this a lot you know it was nice to see people like me because there aren't so many yeah right sure. it was nice to but to hear you say that in in a predominantly black country in a predominantly black space to still find there aren't many people like yourself in the creative industry. Not mm. not I mean there are black faces everywhere, but within that chosen
2: industry. Yeah. Is
1: that yeah. is that kind of what you're saying?
2: Yeah, very much. And I think eventually that's what made me leave advertising. Um because As I moved and progressed and then kind of learned new spaces and and, and kind of acquired more skills and realizing that actually, for me, it almost kind of did me a disservice in a way to start in this like really conscious and empowered space as a black person working for like one of the first black agencies. And then I went into like real full-blown commercialized Mm -hmm. advertising spaces. And then to be like, oh, that's so white and that's so male and that's so strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't work for me. Um, So after kind of really moving through quite a number of agencies, it got too much. And it got, even the work then became quite like, I always say this, like it became like it was eating up in my soul and I, my conscience wouldn't let me do it. So I remember the last um, job I had was with a really small um boutique sort of um ad agency because that is that was kind of what the trajectory done i kind of yeah. went from big and i was like i'm ah, mm-hmm. gonna swallow you up and so it's called smaller and smaller and kind of find a comfort space and was very privileged to work with the kind of people that i did and i think by luck and by what the cosmos demanded and what I really needed to happen for me i got retrenched from my last job mm-hmm. And sat there and went, wow, well, that's going to be fun. Mm. And i been seeing my partner for a number of years then. And then that was a really, I'm glad I was able to conscientize myself to, like, to the fact that that was something big happening for me. And that it wasn't just by fluke and that I'd now have to go and find another job and da 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 all of that. It's like a moment where something needed to transform and change. How, and I'm so uh, grateful that I saw. How did
1: you know? How did you know? Because I think that's, you see, I think that's so important is that how do we know these moments that are transformed, you know, because th- rather than things just happening to us, how do we to know us, yeah, how yeah, to harness, yeah. harness a moment for us? I think, I
2: think like
0: I had no plan.
2: Yeah, because I do want to
0: say, I think a lot of these things come to us with hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight and a bit of space between them event, the actual event happening, and then us being able to look back and think, oh, was
2: that what that was? That was exactly, absolutely. But I think now retrospectively, I can say that I had, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what was going to happen. And again, at that time, my partner at the time had kind of been going through his own process and he'd been traveling the continent a lot, like pecky stuff, be like, yo, I'll see you in six months. Where are you going? I don't know. I'm going to cross some borders, <laughs> and I'll be back so he did a lot of that and came back and every time he'd come back i'd be like who's this guy like this is like you're bringing so much more like what and we'd been together for a while and i remember we sat and he'd come back from a trip and i'd gone and joined him up in tofu in mozambique so he was coming down from uganda and i went up and we're like oh let's meet in tofu and we'll come back to sa together so i packed my bags and backpacked my way in the same way he'd Done. and mm-hmm. we came back and we had the most amazing time and we came back and he was kind of like what are we going to do about this and I was like I don't know but we're going to figure this out and he was he'd always kind of work for himself so he's an he's an architect and he decided he's going to do this thing by himself and I thought okay this experience in 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 um in in in, in Mozambique was really interesting I know what my joy things are. So let me start exploring those things. And I just did. And as you'd have it, if these things are supposed to kind of come your way, you kind of open your heart and yourself to it. And they do. And Stop. I have a cousin. Stop. Mm.
1: Because you see, I think this is another thing. You're, you said, you said, I know what my joy things are. I mm. love that. And while I deeply a- appreciate you throwing that out there, I think a lot of, A lot of us, especially women, don't actually know what our joy things are.
0: Yes, please tell us what your joy thing is. Yes. How, what,
2: what for you, what does that, what does that mean? (laughs) A joy thing. You know, for me, a joy thing is, it's the thing that's going to allow me to keep going without thinking about it, right? It's the thing that's going to just like, I, like everyone else, I question a lot of my decisions I question a lot of like the choices I make. I question I question many things about myself and about how they affect me but the joy stuff is the stuff where I just go mm, peace this is fine I don't no one needs to know no one needs to understand I'm just going with what it feels like and if it feels good, I'm going with that. So whatever it sounds it's like different. an
1: alignment. It sounds like there's a real yes, alignment within you. Is, where you've got exactly, this, your
2: head, heart. yeah mm-hmm. There's a yeah. serenity about it. There's And so I'm going to make, and for me, that's it. Like, that's what mm. music does for me at this point. Mm. Like, it's like my, it's my constant. It's the thing that, like, it it all comes back to that mm. as like the yeah. center. It, whatever mm-hmm. random decision I make, it like, shh, 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 this is where we come back to, you know? Yeah. And to be able to like, yeah. again you know hindsight is a wonderful thing to just know that that's yeah. my that's my solace that's my space and that's the biggest connector and one of the most wonderful connections that I had with my husband like that it was all about the music I met him at a music festival right. um mm-hmm. and you know it's 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 those kind of and, and that that's the thing that that holds and brings us and brings us back to kind of what we have and so in that time where I was in limbo like mm. in limbo in the sense that I didn't build i didn't have a job i didn't mm. that was the thing that music got it back together for me i remember my cousin who was a who is a was i guess at the time a practicing sort of um cinematographer and then to film also by goodness knows what fell on his lap and how it happened got this gig <laughs> to go and film a white jean concert mm-hmm. um in angola And he goes, he calls me and he says, I got this gig. I don't think I can do this gig, but I took it anyway (laughs) because I knew you'd be able to figure it out. Was he a man? Was
0: he a man? Yeah. There you go. Exactly.
2: There you go. (laughs) My cousin's (laughs) I I took it. I don't know how, but I figured you'd figure this out. (laughs) And I was like. What are you talking about? I'm an actor. Okay? I make pretty adverts. That's what I do. He's said, No, you've organized so many things in my life mm. and you you know our family always we're also organized it. everyone knows what the, you let's we gotta figure this out. It's real money, you need the money, let us figure Amazing. this thing out. And I like, And we did and then that was it. And that was that was the most my first introduction into doing a music gig okay. was doing a concert for Whitecliffe Jean in Angola. Um, what is um, this? Wow. <laughs> Yeah. but i also wish
0: kudos to your cousin i wish more of yeah. us women yeah, did that because you know the, how men literally will get some you know they'll go for the thing that they can least do and they'll move forward with confidence whereas we're like oh i can only do whatever so kudos to your brother
2: thank you for that <laughs> i was just present myself and say i'll figure it out <laughs> you know? yeah like it was probably it was life changing for me. It mm-hmm. literally was life changing, and that experience was as intense as anything I've done. Um, post that, like, White Cliff John was in Joburg. We had. How do I know how to charter an aeroplane? Wow, like it's that kind of thing. I had to charter a plane, take some production stuff that wasn't weren't able to get to Angola, and do a stadium show for White Cliff John, and I, and we did it. Mm. You know, with a great team that were able to. Put together, and we did it. And for me, I was just like, "Wow, that felt so cool, and that felt so good, and that felt so amazing." Again, and that, that had me- gave you
1: joy. That was and your that, joy.
2: That was joy bit, Ooh. you know. And that again, it came to that thing about remember how you used to sit in the car and drive with mm-hmm. Uncle Hala to the Google Park and listen to Sancomota. Those feelings. This is what. This is all that stuff. And and so and then that was it. That was it. I was like, okay, this is what we're doing now. Okay. We're doing this music production, and we're gonna figure out what it means. And just production in terms of putting up events. And so I had the opportunity to freelance for a while. So after that one, the client was really impressed, and then I got a gig in Malawi. Was this lake of I did stars? A few stars?
0: Was it the makeup stars? Um,
2: no, it was actually for for Coca Cola. interestingly. Oh, I see. Enough, if I can do that, I see. And also, then I do these sort of music, so like um these music related things, and you kind of just produce those yeah. for that. And then to just bring it back, then, then we had, you know, then I was I was doing this for about a good two years and my partner was had itchy feet and I was like, I'm not letting you like do this by yourself again. I wanna I want in on this. And he was like, Let's go. Let's just go. And we both sat there and looked at each other and said, That sounds oh so nice. <laughs> um your betty parents My hardcore family are never because that's what how we were raised. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna let you live with a boy and you go gallivanting and you are with a boy. That's just never going to happen. And so the conversation in the bath then became, let's just get married and then they leave us alone (laughs) and we go and it will be fine.
1: But I'm I'm also really curious because from what from my experience with South Africa, a lot of South Africans don't and I may be generalizing, but are not necessarily comfortable going into the rest of Africa.
0: True, very, very, and true.
1: very much. It's sort of like almost that's Africa. We're not Africa. What yeah, was that's... different for you? Because I'm loving this that you're firstly backpacking into um, Angola and then Mozambique, and you know what was for you two. What was different? Why was it? Sounds like the call of Africa was was it was great.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah I think it's that for me it's that seed that my uncle planted me about being exploring okay. and appreciating that there's so much to learn from everywhere else. so travel for me was not ever anything that was um like scary and for whatever reason, I can't tell you why, but I have had no desire to go to the global north and to the west to travel. Like, it's just not something that has resonated with me at all. I have always found my continent to be more interesting. So just going back to that thing where you're saying for South Africans, it's really quite a difficult um, thing to fathom and say. Let's go out and let's explore the continent, but you know it was just—I don't know. Was, yeah, it was like Africa calling, I guess, and we just kind yeah, of. Yeah, and so
1: and so, but, but I also love that you say that um, around, actually saying you know you've had no desire to go to the global north. I know that um, Daphne and I have spoken recently, and she she actually said something very similar. She said, "Look, I'm when we're talking about vacation and holidays now, it's Africa. We're looking at Africa. This is and." Yeah. I love you speaking into that because I think so this Africa is so vast isn't it and to actually begin to appreciate the wonder and and the the magnitude of Africa for oh, Africans as a
2: destination also, you know, in the difference there's so much where you feel at home I know that sounds yeah. like such a way about it and and don't get me wrong I appreciate that my job and other experiences have given me the opportunity to explore like the West and Europe and the u s and all of that and it's 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 interesting and it's fun for what it is and it's great, and I do what I need to do but if I'm spending my own money <laughs> me I'm staying on here the continent
1: but so you so now you're in you, you you've you, you go up to Zanzibar um and you're, you're living there and what's the music what's going on with you music wise at this point
2: so i'm just now i'm just like we're missioning we're, we're going around we actually stayed in malawi for a while um visited some friends up in the north who would yeah make,
1: yeah you were in kata mm-hmm. bay. i remember you telling House me that bay, beautiful and yes. i oh,
2: you know, love it and yeah. so we were there and then because we didn't have a traditional honeymoon, my, my husband said, Oh, I want to take you to Zanzibar because he'd been there. Da, da, da. So we get to Zanzibar, we chill, it's the most amazing time. We're backpacking budget, can't afford to stay there. And then we're walking the streets and we see this poster for this music festival. And we both go, mm, We're supposed to leave next week, but this festival, can we hang out and stick around for it? We decide to do so because on the bill was one of my favorite South African artists, oh, Mokandiswamazwai. And we're like, ah, we we'll ne- we've never seen okay. her outside of our own Amazing. borders. Let's go and see that <laughs> this festival, South East Africa. and it completely changed my mind. It it changed oh, wow. everything. I was blown away by what that festival represented. I was blown away. We had been in Zanzibar for about two months, and understand that the whole two months, whether this was February, was the third month. There had been no electricity in the con- in, on the island by wow. no electricity I mean day in day out for two and a half months, there was no power
1: makes load shedding look good huh
2: load, sh- load shedding is fine you know under those <laughs> circumstances um, and they pulled it pulled this amazing thing off under those circumstances, my mind was blown. Mm-hmm. And I, we had to leave. And I said to my partner, love, I don't really know what this means, but I want to work with these people because what they just did, like, was amazing. And he was like, we're going back to Malawi <laughs> because we have commitments and the budget is low. So we did. And I sneakily um, registered to their newsletter. Ooh. I subscribed to their newsletter. And they like, I checked in, and they had this post for a graphic designer. And I was like oh wow look at that art director graphic designer I make pretty posters for this job <laughs> and I got this job and so we again in our nomadic way made the decision that we're going to we're gonna give this a shot he was like listen I did not intend on working and staying anywhere put for so long but this is a decision you've made and I'm up I'm with you for it And no better place to get stuck than in Zanzibar and long story short but that's what happened, and we did that for four and a half years. Eventually, it was supposed to be a year, and it kind of got better. Amazing that, that experience of what that music—you um, would know, Eileen—on my my WhatsApp status has since I have been on WhatsApp. Been has music changed your life? That's the that's the little sort of saying that I have on there.
1: You know, it's such a thing because I love music. I do love music, but I don't have. I music helps me come alive when I listen to music. I I really enjoy it. But I, I don't have that um, passion. I, I laugh with Daphne because Daphne is one of the village raising my, raising my daughter. She's one of Sophia's ten godparents, and I. One of the responsibilities that her and her husband have is to teach my daughter music because that is so much part of who. She is, I think.
0: Yeah, Violet, I I wanted to say, I wanted to jump in to sort of say everything you've, you know, as you were describing your early influences and your early introduction to music, you were reminding me of myself growing up in the sense that we literally had a room dedicated in our house to listening to music and dancing to music. Our parents, every weekend, bring work colleagues, their whole community in, and they'd be down in the basement and they would blast the music as loud as they wanted and dance until late. And we'd, our little kids would just be there. And, and my, my father's, my parents' record collection was everything from Mbilia Bell and the Pepe Kale and the early Congolese, the, all of those, all the way through to the West African Afrobeat mm. music to Ember, Eng, Engelbert Humperdinck and Harry Belafonte, everything, the whole spectrum of music. And it was the same with my husband and growing up. You know, and I, obviously bringing up my kids, we just listened to a wide variety of music. There wasn't anything intentional about it, but we've ended up with two kids. One of whom is um, is a music writer. She's 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 in the media, writing about music. And the other one is a musician. And when they talk about to hear them talk about music, you think, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> it, it absorbed it, it seeped <laughs> yeah. into their pores. It's funny. I you was about <laughs> to say, like
2: I watched my daughter. <laughs> walk around the house and like trust she knows exactly who Katy Perry is, you know, and she'll do that. And but then she'll also sit in her like moments, in her very like intense, quiet moments. She says she goes, "Mississippi Goddamn." I'm like, "Oh, we know." Oh my goodness! I'm like, "Okay, in... Jesus, that's wow. where your head is at." Or she'll get on a on a, Miriam like a country girl, and it's not like it's I not bad. You know, you're not singing "Pata Pata." You're singing that song that no one really knows or heard of. Yeah, Sorry, and, I, I'm my... just
1: interested as well because because music is so defining, and it's such you know the arts and culture is such a indication. Like Violet, you were saying, you can see where society is and what's going on with the music and the arts and the culture, and and it, it it's an expression of so much more than just sound and pictures, right? Mm-hmm. It's that's not what it's about. It's an expression of who we are and how we relate and how we how we experience the world. How important is it for both of you, these you two mothers, who have really instilled the love of, of good music into your kids? That music, African music, is. Is celebrated not just for yourselves and your families, but for for you know Africans in general and the world in
0: general. I I, I think well, the thing that makes me sad is when I think about let's say Malawi and musicians that came up in the sixties, the Ndiche Mualares and um, uh, several others, Jamandas and other people like that, who pretty much are living in poverty. They never benefited from mm. their craft, they did it for the love of it and purely for the love of it. And they've, they've never really enjoyed the kind of success financially and materially that their counterparts have had in the global north. I just wish that things change for the next generation. And I want to see more, I want to see more Thameses, more, more, not just the ones who are popular musicians, but the ones who are craft you know, the, the players from West Africa, the just people doing more traditional folksy type music. I want to see them enjoy success across the continent because within the continent of Africa, there's enough of a market to actually sustain most of these musicians. That's the way I see it. And I think we don't just have to rely on the global North to, to validate um, how good they are. You know, it's great that Burner Boy is doing well, but we can also nurture and support and and validate our own musicians who are let's say if you're in south africa i can appreciate an angolan musician i should be able to appreciate a kenyan one and not enough of them are actually enjoying that kind of cross-continent
2: success so for me this is exactly you know it, it, it scares me sometimes to stop and think about um what else am I going to do if I'm not doing the work that I'm doing at music in Africa? Um, because it is, you know, just to give you a little quick context and background, the organization started as like an idea, you know, um, from my, the current director, one of our founders, Eddie Hatichke. And it was, the idea was to just like create a centralized place for African music, African music content, um, and so it kind of started in the format of this portal that was the dreamers kind of made, or the idea was to sort of that's where African musicians network gather and connect with each other and the rest of the world. So it's this portal where you can create an EPK and get your music on there. And then whoever wants to know about it, then move to content around African music. And it's substantially grown over the years. Actually this year we're celebrating our 10 year anniversary. And then the kind of, when you kind of start to engage musicians, then you realize that there is fundamental needs, I think, to speak to a lot of what you talk talking about, G- Daphne. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this other sort of section or department, which is the department I manage, called we call it the projects department around, we need to start to think about other things that service musicians outside of putting them on a stage. What capacities are we building for musicians? Mm-hmm. What spaces and what... Yeah, what what knowledge and information are we giving them to understand that they're a business, that they're something profitable. So we start designing these ideas, these and 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 yeah, we start designing these things, these projects that we think will serve as artists in a big way. So we have projects that run like a full spectrum. We have art programs that are speaking to indigenous knowledge systems. So one of my favorite projects, all of them are my favorites, but you know, we have like a project called the instrument building and repair project where we are teaching young musicians or people, you know, or practitioners, to build and repair indigenous African instruments from across the continent. So we find like masters of kamalengonis or masters of marimbas, umberas, and they come, everyone disappears for two weeks. We go somewhere. You learn how to build it from scratch. You learn how to fix it if it's broken. You learn how. So the point is you learn how to do that you go to your community, you're kind of doing this heritage preservation thing where you're teaching people about it, and you in your teaching, you are earning money. You know, so it's like full circle stuff. And then we do lots of mm-hmm. things around, we just did an amazing piece of research around revenue streams for African musicians that was funded by UNESCO and we had like this amazing opportunity to go present at UNESCO. That's mm-hmm. like a huge deal for us as a in, in Joburg, an african organization based in Joburg. and that's it like that for us was let's do research we have covid or other sort of situations how if you are a musician and you learned in covid that you could not get on stage and perform live and thus could not earn yeah that is your biggest mm-hmm. money earner where you get direct income and cd sales no one's really doing that now because now we're doing thing so how yeah. else are people making money and we got it yeah. from the mouths of other musicians so we mm-hmm. created this little piece of research which has these tools that live online so people said i make music now because i rent out my equipment that i have or i am a composer or i am now doing a, i'm writing jingles for adverts and then we've got specialists to write on each one of those findings and that lives on our website as a tool so it's okay. it's never just let's do things but it's like what else? Right. How's this going to service people can access this stuff for free? So outside of like the enjoyment of the music, that other stuff which is yes. like invaluable and really important, like artists in South African context and probably more so across the continent, like people musicians understanding the very difficult space around um collection societies like the Samro's, the people that collect royalties on your yes. behalf. I worked for a good 4 years of my life. Hmm. I still can't tell you how that nonsense works. Because, because it's, it's so oh, wow. complicated. Wow. Right? And so to kind of like hmm. create a space and and like and build capacities for musicians to understand, okay, so if I'm writing a song and it's me and Eileen and Daphne and Eileen is doing this bit, so let's decide 5% goes to this one and and contracted it, but it's like, it's a machine, right? And people don't really know how it works. And it's the language and the history around it is also really difficult because people also don't feel like they belong in those spaces, but these are spaces where you can earn learn because there is no shortage of talent, um, in our countries, in our countries, in our continent, there isn't, there's no, excuse me, there's no shortage of consumers and people that would love to do this, But it's again, it's just about positioning, and I think it's also like a a self responsibility on musicians. We're on a big drive to really start to talking to musicians to a place where we're going. You Mm. are all you have to yourself, eh? And like what you have is what you have, and that's that is you are the business. Yeah. Look at yourself from that perspective. Learn all the many many things you can learn. Yes, we appreciate and understand that the challenges exist and will forever exist i can but really you are the business that. so how do you value the business how do you how do you position the business because you are your money maker like and that's that's really that's really where we're trying to be and that's kind of the messaging we're trying to do and we and then we get out of our comfort zones and we do a really amazing um probably one of the most important and one of the biggest music trade shows mm-hmm. on the continent called Access and we move it across um different countries every year, because, again, it's important to cover the entire continent. Um, yeah. And, again, so that is an opportunity for mm-hmm. industry to meet, conference talk through all the staff record labels, and talking majors, indies, you know, the across the spectrum. And then we also mm-hmm. offer opportunities for musicians to then showcase because our audience is so global. So we have festival bookers, promoters that come in and come to access because one day it's a platform to talk about the African music business, and two, then there is this element of seeing the talent and having direct access to to, to the talent. So, so how many how many countries are you touching with this? This is a lot to achieve in the ten years so, you've, and- you've been around. How many? How many countries are you are you spanning with your activities? So access that. So we we service the entire continent in in as much as we mm-hmm. with all our activities, right? Um, access is in its sixth year, and we have touched. I think two West African countries, being Ghana and um in Senegal. Uh, we've done East Africa. We have touched on Nairobi. And actually, Tanzania, which, and we're doing a second round. So we'd go and we'd walk into like the lion's den every year with a new country, new language, new dynamics, new everything. Amazing. <laughs> and this year we're trying a new strategy. So we're going back to Tanzania to do it again this year, mm-hmm. again, because there's more value when you kind of come back and you can reflect and that kind of thing. So we, yeah, we really try and service, um, the continent at large, especially, and also specifically through our content, like our content is really, our website is the go-to for any, for information okay. on African music, whatever it is. Okay. And so with that ins- being said, because
1: obviously we, we'll want to put your website um, in our show notes. Um, but mm. what is it? What is your website for it's, people to go and visit? It's
2: musicinafrica.net. So on there, you will find, Um, Like, again, a lot of these projects that I just briefly spoke to you about. And then you will also just find a lot of content, but also, most importantly, a lot of opportunities, funding opportunities for African musicians. So whatever Mm -hmm. we know about, if the Mm -hmm. Hiva Fund in in Nairobi has a fund to to go to residents or whatever it is, we will put all those opportunities out locally and in locally continental international will put all that content up so it's that it's just it's a really great resource um for information and then we are funded mostly by Mm -hmm. um which is always a very interesting dynamic you know but it's really amazing Mm -hmm. actually you know you know we are funded by the siemens Stiftung, which is the siemens foundation um and they fund our core activities and what we do and to have those kind of like that kind of support and donor support from organizations That see the value and allow Mm. you to do what you know needs to be done is a real real Mm. Uh, those are
1: the two two key things right not only not only seeing the value but actually allowing you to do what you need to do yeah
2: so many times that doesn't appreciate that you know what needs to be done because Mm, you have better where you are and you know so to be able to do that kind of stuff is very fulfilling as i said i'm scared sometimes about okay so if it to leave this job which come to well but, but, but now okay so I do know
1: you I know you well enough Violet and I know another yeah. one of your joys is um in the kitchen I've, I've yeah. eaten your food I've eaten your food I've eaten your baking I know how good that is
2: I'm a, I'm, I'm a feeder so <laughs> I'm a feeder let's just get that out of the way this is a thing, like, it's my Extended families love language is food. We live, we oh. do everything we do is in food. It's 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 a little bit scary. And I'm vegetarian, <laughs> hey, in that madness. I am I'm the one that chooses to be the vegetarian. <laughs> um so again it's another plug point and another like reference point to my grandmother, um who in actually a struggle to raise seven kids without your husband being there anymore. And not being employed and figuring it out and looking after all your grandbabies because your kids continue to make some babies um you know she then would make sure that we are sustainable um my grandmother also a maverick of a woman i'm gonna I'm gonna these tears are gonna come again and I'm gonna stop them but it's so my grandmother baked her own bread. These are my stories, right? And then I listened to my mom and her siblings about their stories with how, how resourceful their mother was. Like, I remember we used to make, like, soap bars with my grandmother from, like, animal fat, from, like, pig wow. fat that she gathered. And then we'd put it in this like big thing and like it was proper like cauldron stuff and make like soap because that she couldn't afford for it to be any other way and she'd bake bread for us Mm -hmm. and then we were all like then she had a massive garden that we all you know worked the land and and would go and pick the green beans and then we'd be put put it in a dish on our head and go knock next door and every other door and sell green beans and sell curry powder and chili powder and whatever else we were, we were sort of farming on her little farm on, on, on her property. And so it's always interesting. It's funny. I was having this conversation with a friend a couple of weeks ago and he was talking, we're talking about like coffee creamers. And he was saying something about like, for him, it, I think his wife had bought coffee creamer because she's off, like, she's lactose intolerant and was done with the oat milk and all of that. And then she was like, Oh, coffee creamer. And he was like, I was mortified because coffee creamer for me represents poverty. And like, you know, when my family family's <laughs> <laughs> bringing this into my life and I'm trying to do like a productive and like constructive time, <laughs> and my wife bought coffee creamer. I, I was, And I looked at him, I was like, Yo, dude, that's a different experience for me. Like coffee creamer, in Mutetema in limpopo was like, "Yo, you guys have coffee cream at your house?" That's what yeah. is. that would never happen because we had milk because that was cheaper to go and get the milkman yeah. to bring on, bring the milk. You know, so food is like mm-hmm. kind a of big thing. So from that, and just gathering and and talking to each other about food is a really special thing. It it binds us together. And food is how we speak. Food is how we love. Food is how we gather and everyone kind of gets involved and, and and for me it's just translated into the one way I can offer love, the one way I can create connection. Uh, my grandmother was very resourceful, you know? And we've created a brand around my grandmother, which we hope we'll be able to like grow mm-hmm. and like and 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 and, and make and, and and profit from it because not just for us to make money, because that stuff's important. But to just keep her legacy alive and to keep like and what's her... the
1: brand, Violet? What's the brand?
2: It's called Batzi. And Batsy is basically short for her name. So her name is Batzeba, which I think has a sort of dual biblical element to it. But in Sibedi, Batzeba means like the one uh... who knows, like the one who knows a lot. And
1: so is there it's... so how would people listening access this brand?
2: So this is a work in progress. So what we've what what's been achieved thus far is sort of like um uh, what do you call it like an identity of it and which we're now kind of work very slowly and i'm very much responsible for how slow the process has been about developing recipes figuring out how to store things because she used to make like canned peaches and you know um i still i think i it's been two years since my grandmother's passed and I have one more jar of guavas that she uh. preserved that i can't get to open I can't do it because it's, mm-hmm. it's the last tangible thing I have um, it's so beautiful to hear you and how
1: these these things that are your joys your bits of joy have come from uh, your, your uncle your grandmother and how you were carrying that forward that your love and passion for music creative your are feeding your you know your love for family and how you're creating this space Thank you so much for sharing the story. Thank you. We're going to put the link to the um, all the music stuff on on our show notes. And you know, yes. I, I guess the big thing is to encourage anybody who's listening to to make sure we know what's happening in the music industry in Africa, right? I think that
2: support it. Um, support for me, it. That's, that's really like in what whatever that means. Like if that means you're listening, you you please buy music, listen to music, go to live shows because it's not if. I, I, I can guarantee it's much more of a benefit to you and your soul than it is for the musician that's giving so much of themselves, you know. Like, don't ask for the free complimentary ticket. Just buy, oh. buy one for a friend mm-hmm. or gift a friend, you know. And engage these things. When Music in Africa has a button that says donate now, just do it. Because like, cause mm-hmm. it's these, these things, these are the only way we're going to have, like, active citizenship participation is when we... We just genuinely like start doing stuff for things that matter. And I appreciate how much you guys engage and appreciate, like, that you thought that I had anything of value to say. It's really, really, really kind. Um, and, like, and yeah, and, and reflecting, just kind of going, okay, um, it is important to love what you do. And, and, and like, that's it. Like, just do that love it and do it and do it because you believe it's important and it's not about passion like passion i feel like we need to find a word a new word for saying i'm so passionate about um because that just makes it seem so removed and that you're just doing things for the sake of the fact that you like to do but i do it because i love it
1: i like your joy bits
2: joy it gives me joy it's my my joy It really is my joy bits and i'm and i'm i'm here for it
1: on that note thank you so much violet this has given us joy we hope that you have had some joy in this in this past hour with us at soulfully um and may the joy of music continue to fill all our hearts um thank you for joining us
0: Special thanks to the Apollodyne for our artwork and Crack the Window for our theme music. This episode was edited by Marcus Root. Our website is sofullypodcast.com. Check it out for show notes and links. Please subscribe to our podcast on most podcast platforms and watch us on YouTube. Thank you for listening. And until next time, we're sofully Yours.